Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Think Now Research Podcast. This is our monthly podcast in which we go over our most recent report. Think Now Research is a culturally integrated market research agency. We integrate Hispanic, African American, and Asian insights into custom market research for companies and government agencies looking to thrive in a changing demographic environment. You can find us on the web at thinknowresearch.com and on Twitter at thinknowtweets. My name is Mario Carrasco. I'm co-founder and principal of Think Now. Here today with co-founder at Supreme Digital and founder at Being Latino, Latino Lance Rios. Lance, social media guru, I'm happy you're able to join us today. Social media is now competing with media giants, and we've kind of researched that on our report. So it's great to have your perspective. Uh, for listeners that may not be familiar with your company or your background, can you kind of give us a quick quick summary about uh, Supreme Digital and being Latino? Yeah, sure. Um, so Supreme Digital is a cultural incubation, digital first content company. Um, so the reason that um, we decided to sort of take that route was because um, we found a lot of sort of like shifts in terms of consumer behavior across multiple social um, channels. And um, being able to offer culture um, in any type of aspect that you can offer it um, is something that people have been seeking out, especially younger audiences, millennials and younger, um, where there's like a complete need for it. And there's a huge void in terms of the content la- landscape that can actually consistently provide um, that, that cultural sort of aspect from multiple perspectives that shares with the world. Um, so. Um, that's exactly what we uh, did at Supreme Digital. It's a joint venture between Being Latino and Diso. Um, and uh, we started off um, with what we knew um, as sort of our low-hanging fruit opportunities, which was the U.S. Hispanic, um, U.S. Latino. And we started a show called Living with Latinos on Facebook Watch, uh, which since we launched in January has already garnered over, I believe, 2.3 billion views. And we've amassed an audience of I believe it should be around 8 million followers um, in that short time period, which is pretty significant uh, considering that um, it took us uh, nine years to get to 5 million followers uh, with the Being Latino page, which is our flagship for um, the other company of which I am a founder of. Um, and Being Latino is uh, essentially a social media marketing company for U.S. brands looking to target that U.S. Hispanic uh, millennial um, across social media. And we do a lot of brand strategy um, but more importantly, where we sort of thrive is the content creation and distribution um, and giving brands sort of an insight into how to better connect not only with our audiences, um, but audiences beyond us. So um, that's essentially what we do. That's awesome. What, what was that number again? The total views? That's just insane for living with Latinos. Yeah, it was like uh, 2.2 or 2.3 billion uh, <laughs> views since January. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that's that's exactly what we're seeing the data this big sh- ships. So that's great to have your perspective. As I mentioned, uh, this month we'll be going over our Think Now Media report. This report looks at media consumption habits across the total market. So looking at Hispanic, African-American, Asian, non-Hispanic, white. Um, We look at gaming, streaming, and binge viewing. For those of you that want to follow along with the report, you can go ahead and pause the podcast now. Head over to thinknowresearch.com and download. you can listen without following the report. We're going to be doing our best to explain the data that we're discussing. So for those of you that have downloaded, we're going to start at slide eight. 
Uh, this slide talks about, we, we looked at what are all the ways that people are watching TV programming from Netflix, live TV, DVR. And one of the big data points that, that stood out is the fact is how quickly live network TV is losing ground as the most often choice for watching TV programming. So we look at um, the gap for Netflix, for example. We've been doing this report now for five years, but this is some of the biggest changes we saw from 2017 to 2018. So in 2017, the gap between people watching live TV versus Netflix was 23 points, 23 percentage points. 2018, we see a huge shift. It's now six points. Uh, I mean, from your perspective, Lance, we're seeing some of the numbers on social media. I mean, is this surprising to you? And if not, I mean, what are what are your thoughts here in terms of people moving away from live TV to streaming services like Netflix? Yeah, I mean, I think that what what a lot of the industry has yet to fully embrace is the fact that we're living in a society where right now everything is about convenience and being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Um, and I think that with Netflix, when they launched, they offered sort of a different perspective of like, Hey, view this whenever the hell you want to view this. Like this is when we're going to put the entire season up. Uh, feel free to binge it and feel free to watch it at your leisure, do whatever you want to do with it versus having to wait, um, you know, once a week at 9 PM Eastern to watch your favorite show, like get it all here. Right. And then not only do we have this show that you like, but we also have a lot of other shows that you can binge now on and you can do this uh, and experience the same experience and people gravitate towards it. Right. Um, And I think that also from a price point, you know, what Netflix offers is vastly different than what you're paying in terms of uh, traditional television um, across the board. And with a lot of these other players offering different styles of what traditional TV has offered to date, um, within their platforms, it just becomes very natural. Um, so I think that there's nothing surprising about this. I think that the growth uh, towards this will continue to increase. And I think that that's why we're seeing a huge convergence right now where TV is just trying to figure out how do we become more more digital? How do we become more like Netflix? And Netflix is trying to offer some traditional TV, uh, TV components, but I think that Netflix is definitely the one slated to win right now just because they already have the built-in infrastructure and they have the user base that is becoming increasingly more um, sought after. So there's no doubt in my mind that within the next couple of years, we're going to see a complete shift where the preference is for streaming versus live uh, traditional TV viewing. You know, and and a kind of a follow-up question, and this is, this isn't something that we researched. I'm just curious about your opinion. I mean, you, you threw out these pretty incredible numbers for, living with Latinos within the short time span that we launched. And if we look at Netflix, it's becoming the incumbent now, right? Like Netflix is now what live TV was 10 years ago. And so now Mm -hmm. Netflix is in the crosshairs of everybody. Right. And you see, you see Facebook launching Facebook TV, uh, great timing. AG, IG TV just launched yesterday, right before this podcast. How do you see these social media quote unquote TV platforms competing with Netflix or are they not competing? Is it auxiliary? Are they playing nicely against it? I mean, do you see eventually the viewership on Facebook TV, IGTV, YouTube TV, eclipsing Netflix or taking bigger market share or how does that play into this whole media ecosystem from your perspective? 
Well, here, here's, here's kind of how I would answer that question. It's hard to say who wins at the end of the day. Um, I think that it's safe to say that Facebook Watch it has its target on Netflix and Hulu, and IGTV has its target mostly on YouTube. Um, and they're not being shy about saying, hey, this is, a, this is a space that we want, and we have a lot of money to test and experiment and figure this out um, until we get there. Um, but whether it's Facebook or some other player um, that comes in, I think that what Facebook did alone just with the watch platform has really created sort of a sense of urgency for companies to try to figure out, okay, what do we have that we can leverage to kind of get a piece of this marketplace, right? Like Facebook knows because they have a ton of data that, you know, in the next few years, 90 to 95% of all content and all traffic driven online will be done through native video content, right? So in order for them to remain the monopoly, um, for better use of words, um, that they are in the current state, they have to make sure that they own video. And up until this point, Facebook has definitely been a video heavy platform, but they've never been necessarily associated as to like the space that completely owns video. You still have YouTube from a user generated uh, or influencer perspective. And then you have the streaming services like Netflix who have kind of like owned that longer form content. So the thing is, is that Netflix um, I use this as an example when I talk about this to kind of put it in perspective. You know, Netflix has House of Cards, Orange is New Black, lots of original programming, cool documentaries that they've been launching. Um, but like when they initially launched it, there, there took some time for Orange is New Black to become, you know, that franchise element of Netflix original programming. They had to go through a pretty extensive marketing um, strategy um, to get the word out, to let people know, hey, this exists. Up until the point that, you know, every sort of experience from a viewership experience it, for Netflix, for me personally, is word of mouth. If somebody tells me, hey, you got to check out this thing on Netflix, that's when I check something out. Periodically, I'll browse through things and I'll experiment with things or like I'll use Netflix for other purposes. But like the big thing, the things that get me really excited is when like friends say you have to check out the show. Right. And so that at the end of the day, you know, and there's nothing new. Right. Word of mouth. But marketing is the most powerful form and all this other great stuff. Um, but that is how Netflix works. And that's how Netflix has had sort of the virality around programming that's gotten users engaged and they keep them hooked in for other stuff um, beyond that. The threat that Facebook and Instagram and some of these other social um, outlets can bring to it is that they can immediately fast track those six months of marketing up until we spark that word of mouth that actually starts making this a viable property. They could do that immediately, right? Because Facebook ha has the opportunity to share that with networks and share that with all of your friends and share that with uh, everyone else. And that is a very powerful thing to fast track um, virality around content programming. So I think that whether Facebook wins it or not, like anybody else who's going to be playing in this game is going to have to figure out a way to, to incorporate a very strong social component, including Netflix. And I do think that Netflix is going to be forced to figuring out how do we make this a little more viable for social interactions and vi virality. I wouldn't be surprised if they formulated some type of partnership with Twitter. Um, I think Twitter would make a lot of sense to partner with Netflix at this point um, if they do want to compete at some, uh, against some of these players um, as they start to slowly creep up to long-form original content programming. Um, but that's something that's going to be a need because it's already been, been proven several times on the Facebook platform. So for instance, in our early days, like in January, our early days, um, January, February, um, we've had certain pieces of content that were shared over half a million times, right? And that is what fast-tracked our exponential growth uh, up until this point. 
that is why we didn't have to spend any money on, um, on paying Facebook directly to get our following. Um, it was purely organic and it was driven by content, right? So in the six month period that we started living with Latinos, we were able to do all this great stuff where, and typically for Netflix, it takes them about six months to get to that point to even like generate sort of virality around it. So um, I think that's a huge threat. I think that it makes a lot of sense. The biggest challenge though, for a lot of these social channels that are coming out right now um, is figuring out the retention of an audience, right? And the consumer behavior. Are people willing to go onto the Facebook platform, a platform that they've been used to going on uh, to, to get very quick, easy bite-sized information, get quick news throughout the day, so on and so forth. Are they willing to also leverage that platform as means of long form content consumption? Um, I think that's TBD. Um, and I think that with Instagram TV, IGTV, that's also another thing um, that's worth considering is, you know, it's a very quick sort of behavior. So like, is the, is the user retention going to necessarily, is it going to work? Right. Um, what I, what I will also say is that, um, is that when we do look at these two platforms, um, we also have to think about um, sort of like beyond, beyond the sense of like what the original sort of like consumption behavior is, is like getting programming behind it that actually makes sense for this audience and something that like allows it to actively say, hey, we are competing with Netflix head to head. And they've done that. Facebook has done that so far with like shows with like Jada Pinkett Smith and, you know, Tom Brady and things of that nature. And so um, they're getting there as well from that aspect. Um, the, 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 I guess the, one of the biggest Achilles heels for both Facebook and Instagram, though, is that unlike YouTube, where people go to YouTube with an intent um, to watch some type of content, you go there with a purpose, whether it's for you to watch your favorite influencers, see what they've, they've been doing, or you are looking to make a key lime pie, you go there with an intention. Therefore, you're willing to spend more time on that video content. For Facebook and Instagram, it's purely discovery-based right now, um, meaning that like an algorithm kind of decides what they think that you're going to want to see, and it actually works. So therefore, you're not too worried about going specifically to ind individual publisher pages to get the content. You just assume that you'll get it from somewhere somehow. Um, so I think that that is a huge factor for, for how people will experience these platforms. Because as of right now, I can tell you that a very, very, very small percentage of people are actually going to Facebook Watch on their own, specifically looking for content versus the amount of people who are seeing Facebook Watch content in newsfeed um, driven by an algorithm. So um, those are going to be challenging things that I think Facebook will have to overcome. YouTube doesn't necessarily have to deal with those same challenges. I think the biggest problem with YouTube is figuring out how to keep their publishers happy. Um, they've, they've gone through a lot, uh, a lot of things that have made things very messy for them that have not necessarily um, made brands and advertisers feel entirely comfortable. Um, and as a result, they had to scale back. And a lot of these publishers who are making a livelihood on YouTube are looking for other outlets and they're going to Facebook watch and to other places. So it's kind of a cluster right now, but I do think at some point the dust will settle and Netflix is going to have some serious competitors um, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, and, and you bring up, you know, one, one of the hurdles for me, if I think about, you know, I, I, that discovery aspect, I think you hit the nail on the head for me. Like I like consuming long form content on my television, right? I know that's a little old school, but um, I feel like that might be um, another factor for 
for people, right? In terms of a, of long form, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's an older yeah. older millennial thing, um, but maybe Gen Z doesn't care about um, you know how big the screen is that they're watching content. Do you see that as a hurdle or or not really? Yeah, I mean, like I was going to answer that question. I think that it's probably more of a generational thing. Yeah, I think that like obviously Facebook has a lot of experimenting left to do. Um, YouTube TV, you know, all these guys have a lot of experimenting left to do. I 100% think that it's in their strategy to be part of smart television options um, so that people do have the experience to watch Facebook Watch on their on the big screen, um, maybe IGTV. Um, I think IGTV is just a little different because it is a younger audience base, and I feel that younger audience bases, they like the convenience of being able to have their phone out and watch programming that they're actually interested in. I think that they don't care as much about how big the screen it is I think that the biggest thing um, that IGTV did that was really smart was standardize the vertical format because the vertical format makes it a lot easier to, for someone to watch a longer piece of content than turning your phone sideways, right? And as stupid as it may seem, it's actually like a really, really big deal. Yeah. Um, so I think that time will tell. And I think that for younger generations, um, like, you know, Gen Zers, I think that they care less about that. I think that it's cool to have, um, but I don't think it's a game changer for them. For the older millennials like you and I, like, yeah, I prefer to watch stuff. Like, I watch Netflix on my TV. Like, I never watch Netflix on my phone. Like, that's something that I rarely do unless I'm on a plane or something like that. Um, so I think that there's just going to be a lot of different opportunities. But for Facebook to set up a deal with Samsung or whoever um, to, to have their app included, that's not much work. I think that they just have to prove the model that from a content perspective, they can create environments where things do work. Now that that's a good point. And then on your point about, you know, generational, you know, we, we kind of dug into this uh, generationally, but also from an ethnic perspective, right? So seeing how, or if ethnicity drives some of these habits. And one thing that we saw for those following along on slide nine is, um, you know, Netflix or live TV is still number one, but Netflix is, 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 is almost there, right? That six point difference. But if we look at across some ethnicities, specifically Hispanic, Netflix is already the number one way that they're watching TV programming. So, and this is significantly more than the other groups. So 35% of, of Latinos cite Netflix as a way that they watch TV programming most often. Um, and just to give you some perspective, 35% of Hispanics rate Netflix as number one, uh, only 25% of whites, 24% of African-Americans, and 21% of Netflix. I mean, you're, you're, the, you're the expert here in terms of um, targeting you know, with cultural content. What do you think is driving this, this uh, significantly more kind of Hispanics gravitating towards formats like Netflix, like YouTube, Facebook TV? I mean, what, what, what from your perspective or your experience, Lance, is kind of driving those, those habits? Yeah. I mean, like, you know this better than anyone, right? When we put Hispanics in any sort of categories, uh, especially when it comes to digital consumption, they'll over-index, right? Like, Hispanics are heavy consumers of content in general. Um, and I'm not sure if the Netflix uh, scenario is completely derived from uh, the fact that they have a better offering from a cultural connective tissue perspective. But I will say that Netflix is not afraid to do things 
that lead with Hispanic talent or even do something completely in Spanish, like, um, what was that? Narcos that people who are non-Hispanic gravitate towards Right. Like, and we yeah. don't see that on the big screen, right? We don't see, you know, that type of content on an ongoing basis or even the get down, which is very multicultural, a bunch of Puerto Ricans in the Bronx in the seventies, you know, it was a really cool thing, but you didn't have to be Puerto Rican to experience it. It was about hip hop. They had a lot of, they've had a lot of ways to sort of cross mingle cultural aspects that could be appealing to multiple demographics and leveraging people of color and leveraging, not being afraid to leverage Hispanics, right? Even if you look at Orange is New Black, the majority of that cast is Hispanic, right? But nobody actually acknowledges that like at a high level. It's just Orange is the Black is great. Uh, Orange is New Black is a great new show. Um, so I think that they are definitely pushing the envelope and being disruptive in terms of like, let's, let's talk about content as content, right? Whereas TV is very very sort of bureaucratic and old school. And if they want to sort of, sort of start playing with ideas, they have to launch with one thing, test it out, see how it's doing, see how blackish does, see if it ostracizes black communities. And we get outcries from people saying, Hey, you got, you guys don't make programming for us, whatever. Netflix says, forget all that. Like we have a plethora of content that we can play with and we we're not afraid to experiment with cultural elements of content. So I think that there's a mix of things. Um, a, the, uh, the fact that, you know, Hispanics are just high digital consumers of content, right? Netflix is a great experience. Um, you know, we're for first movers when it comes to technology. We embrace it. If it works, great. Um, but the second aspect is that, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there on Netflix that we have access to that we don't really have access to, you know, in the main sort of stream media that has the same level of sort of like virality or uh, popularity of show content that Netflix can bring. I, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think that it's really driven by access to content that reflects the culture, right? And like you said, it isn't um, overtly like, hey, here's a Hispanic cast. It's a really good content that has Latino characters or has black characters or has Asian characters, right? With Netflix, you had, um, what's that show with the, the comedian, uh, Aziz Ansari? You know, that, oh, yeah, he's a Right. It's like a really great show. Right. It's but it's an Asian lead, but it's it's it, it appeals to everybody. Um, and then you even have stories of like uh, Insecure. Right. Issa Rae, mm -hmm. star Issa Rae started out on YouTube now. One hundred percent. Parlayed that into HBO. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think it's that Netflix, um, YouTube's, of course, right of the world. Ease, ease of entry. You're not having to deal with that bureaucratic. Oh, is this, is this person going to be able to get us the most views? It's just good content. Um, and with that, yeah. And, and I think, you know, another thing, if we look, if we move to slide 10, for those of you following along, when we look at kind of who's driving the, that, that gap difference between Netflix and live TV, we see it's really, um, being driven by, Afri um, African-American. So um, the biggest drop in live TV viewing from 2017 to 2018, African-Americans, 22 points, which is which is huge, right? I mean, it's almost a quarter of African-Americans from last year um, went down in terms of noting live TV as their number one. And I think, I mean, do you think it's that same thing going on? Just a lot better quality African-American content happening on the Netflix and YouTubes of the world. Um, I, so that's that's a hard question to to answer because I think that 
when it when it comes to it, right, like the African American community um, is um, is way more sort of like synergistic uh, as a whole um, than the Hispanic community is for the reasons that you know Hispanics are made up of people from all different countries that come to the United States that have totally different cultures that once they get to the United States, they're Hispanic. But prior to getting to the United States, they weren't Hispanic. They were Mexican, they were Argentinian, they were Puerto Rican, they were Cuban, they were whatever, right? And so because of sort of those, the, the, those aspects that makes this community way less monolithic uh, than the African-American community, I think that it does have a lot of intricacies that makes it a lot more complex um, in being able to offer programming that can appeal um, at a wide level, right? You know, Univision, when Univision started off, you know, the reason that Univision was so successful is because they appealed to Spanish-speaking people, right? And Spanish-speaking people didn't have many other options. Well, they didn't have any before Univision came around. And then even when Telemundo pop- popped up, Azteca, like some of these other guys um, popped up, it was still limited in terms of what you could view um, as, as a Hispanic there, right? So if you don't understand English and you don't speak English that well, but you speak Spanish and understand Spanish, you will watch Spanish language programming. The current day right now, we're having those people who are watching Univision 30 years ago, 20 years ago, are, have kids who are now adults, and they aren't necessarily Spanish first uh, at all, but they do still have a lot of cultural elements that ties them to where their parents are from and beyond, right? So as we start to look at this community, especially from a digital perspective, right, um, because digital consumption amongst English-speaking uh, Hispanics in the U.S. Um, have higher indexes across the board to Spanish language, um, just because of the mere fact that language is no longer a barrier. Um, but I think that it, it makes it a little more difficult to, to try to just have consistent programming that just can loop everyone in all the time, where in the African-American community, the, the, the experience is the same. You know, it's, it's, it's very relative. The history is very relative, and it's a consistent story. So it's a lot easier to have a lot larger group sort of gravitate towards content that speaks to that experience if that makes sense. So I don't think that it's necessarily that there's more quality programming. I think that it's just the audience breakdown. Uh, If you were to break it down by sort of like segments within uh, the sub demographics of U.S. Hispanics and what they look like, we would actually have a higher index when compared to African-Americans. It's just that it's not like collaboratively like together, if that makes sense. Now that, that totally makes sense. And it makes sense in that the drop in live TV for African-Americans correlates with a surge of African-American programming, right? Within the last 12 months. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's much, right, and and you're right, right? It's going to be much easier to resonate with African-American community as a whole than it is with Latinos, like you said, 22 different countries of origins, right? 22 different distinct cultures, but all that unites them is Spanish, but Spanish in terms of content becoming less relevant to second, third generation Latinos. So, um, yeah, very good point. And believe it or not, um, we're up for time. So thanks again, uh, for joining us, Lance. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please keep an eye out for our next report coming out in July next month. Think now mobile going to be taking a look at mobile habits. So some, some crossover in terms of media habits, but we're going to look looking at apps, social media, et cetera. Uh, Lance, for people that want to follow you, follow your show, the content, um, you want to give some of your social media handles? Uh, sure. I'm uh, Lance Rios on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. 
um, and uh, our social uh, aspects to look out for. You can go to the Being Latino Facebook page to see all five shows that we have active, and you can click on them there. Or you go individually. Uh, our first show is Living with Latinos. Our next show is BL Hacks, which is a DIY platform. Uh, BL Yum, which is a uh, Latin American recipes and beyond. Um, BL Glam, which is beauty, lifestyle, uh, and fashion. And BL TV, which is uh, news. So check them all out. And uh, I'm always free to get feedback from anyone. Awesome. Thanks again, Lance.